you're making some adjustments, for they shall not be things going well. How many remember a few weeks ago when I said that blessed are the flexible, for they shall not be bent out of shape, <laughs> right? That's a great line to apply, and actually it fits perfectly into what we're going to talk about today, about adjusting. So, so let me jump in. Most of us uh, don't give much thought or attention to what it takes to be wise, and so we're doing this whole series called Don't Be Stupid, Be Wise, Find Wisdom, True Wisdom. And so we're trying to figure out what that looks like and how to get there. And, and the reality is, is every one of us has done something stupid or knows someone being stupid at some point in our lives. I mean, we just, it, it's, it's, it's pretty much a 100% gig where all of us are in that realm where at one point or another, we did something or know somebody that's kind of done something that was foolish and without wisdom. And so we're trying to figure out how do we live with true wisdom. And so each week we've been exploring together different aspects of this idea of true wisdom, which by the way, not all wisdom is true. There's some wisdom that's just, it's just wisdom, but it's not necessarily true wisdom, meaning it's God's wisdom. It's understanding what it really is all about. Here's a key text that we've been using, Ephesians chapter 5, and it says this in the contemporary English version. And by the way, that's kind of where we got the, the idea for the series, because in some of the versions of uh, scriptures, it uses the word foolish, and it inserts the word stupid. And so it was like, hey, that's a great series, you know, because otherwise it would have been don't be foolish, but it sounds cooler to say don't be stupid. All right? Anyway, you're like, wow, what, what did he just say? Anyway, uh, don't be stupid. Instead, and the word instead is basically just a real simple idea. Choose something other than. Instead, find out what the Lord wants you to do. Find out what God might have planned in this idea of wisdom. And so the point being is we have a choice in life to either choose true wisdom and be connected to the Lord for his plan and his way and his life, or we can be stupid, we can be foolish. And so it, it, it's that whole idea. So over each week, we've talked about several different things. We talked about don't be stupid, instead be a student for life. We talked about don't be stupid, instead be alert to the lies. And last week, Rod talked about don't be stupid, instead get smart. And so today, we're going to continue on that same idea, and we're going we're gonna to try to talk about this a little bit for, for the next few minutes. Don't be stupid. Be able to adjust. How many of you just have a hard time adjusting? How many of you, the idea of changing anything or, or moving anything just kind of freaks you out, right? And, and, and it's an interesting process to think about how many sometimes we're open to adjustment, we're open to change, and others of us were just resistant. But scripture talks about this idea to be wise, you have to be willing to adjust. You have to be able to make some corrections. And so how many of us, if we could, would go back in time and make some adjustments? I mean, if we could just go back, you know, to those high school years or maybe, you know, last week <laughs> or this morning, <laughs> you know, we would change some things, right? We would make some changes. We would make some adjustments. And so really wisdom is making the adjustment before we regret that we didn't make the adjustment. And so that's kind of what we're talking about today. So if we could have realized the path that we were on and where it was going to lead us into maybe a disaster or a heartache or just a real difficult situation, we would have made some adjustments. And that's what we're talking about. Here's the verse for today. It's Proverbs 27, verse 12. It says this, be cautious. Be cautious and hide when you see danger. Be cautious and hide when you see danger don't be stupid, there's that phrase again, and walk right into trouble. 
and walk right into trouble. How many, how many of you like a good scary movie? A few of you? It's all right, scary movies. I mean, there's some scary movies I like and other ones I don't. I mean, you know, I can deal with, you know, there's, I like the ones that are more mind suspense type scary movies. That's, that's my scary movie. You know, but how many of you know in a scary movie, there's always that point in the movie where you're watching the story and you know that the bad guy is right around the corner and you find yourself yelling at the TV, don't go in there, don't go in there. You know, I mean, you're just, or you cover your eyes because you know what's about to happen, right? I mean, there's just that thought of cautious and you're walking right into some trouble. So, so that's kind of what's happening in the scripture. Another way I thought about it was, in my garage, and some people have made fun of my garage. They think that maybe I'm a hoarder. I like to believe that I'm just a very organized person, and I can get a lot of stuff in a smaller amount of space. Anyway, I have, I, I have this motorcycle project that I've been working on for a couple years now because of my shoulder surgery and all this different stuff. It's just slowed me down. And so I've got the bike in like half of it torn apart up on a bench in my garage. And it's been there for quite a while, so you would think I would know it's there, right? I mean, so what happens is the front wheel is on it, and you got to imagine it's on the table, and the back end doesn't have a wheel, but it's got the frame sticking out. And the frame sticks out about right here. <laughs> you want to know how many times I've hit my head on that frame? You would think about the eighth time, and I, right now, matter of fact, I have a scab on my forehead right there from hitting that thing. And so you would think I would just see and know that it's there, but I'm just not, I'm walking right into it. And so that's kind of the same idea. You know, we smack our heads a lot because we don't think about or see what's ahead. So this verse, it highlights three things about wisdom. And these are some of the fill in the blanks for you today. Three things about true wisdom that we need to understand. All right, here, and it's right from this verse that we just read. And the first one is this, is we, we have this need for appropriate watchfulness, appropriate watchfulness. It says, be cautious, be cautious. The opposite of cautious is careless. You know, and, and, and some of us, we know careless. We were careless and that happened. We were careless and we found ourselves here. We were careless. And it says, be cautious. And carelessness has this idea of being blind to what's about to happen. In other words, I have a blind presumption of how the outcome of this is going to actually happen. And there's no thought or there's no forethought of what's going to take place. And so we presume an outcome with no thought or effort, and we are living dangerously. So the first thought of true wisdom is understand we need appropriate watchfulness. Second one is this. Oh, I, don't, I skipped a whole bunch of things in my nose. When is caution appropriate? When you make big life decisions. There's times in life where we, there's decisions that are on the table that are big and bigger, and you really need to have appropriate watchfulness when you're making those big decisions about where you're going to live or who you're going to marry or, I mean, all these different things that are just those big decisions in life, you need to have caution. Or, or when you're handling something that's volatile, right? I mean, that's when you need caution. When there's, when there's a situation, a lot of times I'll be dealing with people, and I can tell, man, it's kind of a tense situation, and i got to be cautious in how I handle it because it could easily blow up in my face. i got to be cautious in how I respond because it could easily blow up in my face. And so caution is good when there's a volatile situation, whether it's relationships or work or whatever it might be. That's a, that's a good time to have caution. Or, or here's another one, when you're in the dark, Right? The other day I came home, I was out of town Monday and Tuesday in Grand Island, and I brought my suitcase home, 
you know, pulled it in, put it in my living, I mean in my living room, in my because I sleep in my living room, but I, I pulled it into my bedroom, set it down there, took out a few of the things out of there that I needed right away and just left it there. Well, that night, you know what happened? The lights were off. I come cruising in. Ah! Man, I don't know if I broke it, but it feels broke. You know, my pinky toe is crying. What were you doing? I needed some watchfulness in the dark, but I didn't have it. Anyway, so, so caution appropriate is, is at those times. So caution is the ability to identify the things in life that are dangerous. It's identifying them. It's looking at stuff and going, okay, that's dangerous. It's, it's having that wisdom that I can somehow figure that out. Here's another thing. Caution is the ability to slow down so you can accurately view what's in front of you. A lot of times, those that don't have appropriate watchfulness are just going too fast. You're just going way too fast. Life is going this way, and you can't see the things that are dangerous because of how quick you're going. And so that's appropriate watchfulness as well. So here's the second one. So first one, appropriate watchfulness. Second one is the need for necessary protection. It says hide when you see danger. Hide when you see danger. You know, I mean, some of us kind of have this thing, oh, danger's my middle name, you know. <laughs> you know, and, and we got this attitude that we're invincible, and, and Scripture says that wisdom doesn't act that way. Wisdom understands its limits, understands that, you know what, I need to find cover. And, and some of us, we think we're invincible. We can do anything, go anywhere, and it's not going to affect us or impact us. And see, true wisdom is having a healthy understanding of our weaknesses. That's a tough one for us. It's a tough one because true wisdom is having that acknowledgement that I can't handle everything. And I got to know that. And I need to have cover. I need to, and by the way, if you're not reading between the lines, that this is the greatest story of the gospel of Christ is us finding cover, is us finding shelter, is us finding this wrapping, if you will, that comes from God that protects us from things like death. And, and the devil, you know, all these D things. You know, it's just this work, this power to protect us. And really then, the, what, what's happening is it's making, us, it's making sure that I'm not dangerously exposed in life because I have nece- the necessary protection. Here's a question, just a big question for you to ponder. What am I exposing myself to that is dangerous? What, what in my life today is that thing that's, that's dangerous? And I keep exposing myself to it. I don't have necessary protection. I don't, and see, I'm flirting with this idea of wisdom or not having wisdom because of how close I am to not that. And I'm, I'm exposed. What am I exposing myself to this danger? So it's appropriate watchfulness, necessary protection. And then the third one, and that's what I want to talk about today, is a need for life-saving adjustments. Life-saving Adjustments. It says in our scripture, don't be stupid and don't walk right and walk right into trouble. How many of you ever walked right into trouble and wish you didn't know how to walk, right? <laughs> and wish you knew how to get out of that situation, but somehow you walked right into it. It's like, man, how could I do that? And it's, it's being able to have that ability from God to make life-saving adjustments. We've all heard the phrase, insanity is doing the same things again and again expecting it to create a different result. We, we, we get that, and we, we do that all the time. See, the wisest people in life are those who are able to make halftime adjustments. Wish Nebraska could have made better halftime adjustments, <laughs> you know? But hey, that's just basketball, right? 
I mean, but the wisest people in, in life are the ones that can get going and realize, man, this isn't working. This isn't going where it should. You know, the wisest people in life are, are able to look at the situations and go, this isn't working. This isn't going to end well. And they make life-saving adjustments. Life-saving adjustments. And so what we need to do is we need to consider what needs to be adjusted in us. And I asked Jennifer this morning, hey, uh, honey, what do you need to adjust in your life? And you know what her answer was? You guys already know Jennifer. Nothing. <laughs> I said, honey, you're not helping me here. I know that we all need some adjusting, you know. So she pondered for 30, 40 seconds and answered again. Nothing, you know. So anyway, leave that alone. But, but we need to consider adjusting before it's too late. That makes sense, right? Because sometimes we go through and we do things again and again and again and again. And before we know it, we run out of time. We don't get an opportunity to do it. It's too late. We need to consider adjusting because it, it might actually get too costly. I know that case, in fact, in a lot of relationships, that a marriage didn't adjust early enough, and the next thing you know, they were at a place of divorce. It's costly. The kids were hurt. The marriage was broke. It wasn't God, you know, it just it blew up because there wasn't a considering of adjusting. It was too late. It was too costly. Or, and this is, I think, the big ones, before we repeat again and again and again the painful past. So we need life-saving adjustment because we tend to do circles in life. How many are like that? We tend to do circles. We just kind of keep going and going. And next thing you look, wait a minute, I think I've been here before. You know, I think I've done this before. And, and we kind of have these patterns that we get stuck in, and we don't realize that really the pattern is only broken when I begin to make a life-saving adjustment in the process of life. And, and so that's really what we're talking about here today is making that life-saving adjustment. So here's a couple things that we need to consider adjusting. And, and maybe one of these is you or all three of them or none of them, like Jennifer. But we need to consider adjusting our attitude. Maybe that's where the adjustment needs to happen. You know, for example, maybe, maybe the adjustment needs to be how I walk into a response to those around me. You know, somebody does something stupid, and how you respond, how you walk into that. You walk in and you let them know <laughs> how stupid they are. And before you know it, you have a stupid-on-stupid stupid fight. Right? Because the attitude is there, that, that pride, you know, and it's, it's really, it's a life-saving adjustment to lay down our pride that, that I don't have to be always right and begin to actually serve and respect those around me because it's life-saving to choose humility. See, that's a life-saving adjustment in our attitude is I choose humility. I, I choose to bow down. I choose to, to recognize that you've got great value just like everybody else and I don't have to be right all the time. That, that's one. Here's another one, is we need to consider adjusting our perspective. I realize this one here is the one I, got, I have to work on. This is the one I need God to come and help me make a life-saving adjustment. And here's why, because maybe we view life as unfair. And many times it is, right? Life's unfair. But see, our perspective sometimes when we see life being unfair and things aren't going the way we'd like them to go or they don't go how I think they should or people don't respond the way that I think they should respond and all these different things, that's perspective. And see, we can get really ugly if we don't change that kind of perspective because you can get really critical, judgmental, mean, ugly, you name it. 
Because you need an adjustment in your perspective. You need an adjustment that changes how you look at people because maybe you look at life as being unfair. And, and then, and this is where I go, I don't trust anybody. I don't trust anybody because my perspective's off. And, and I think everyone maybe is out to get me when really they're not. My perspective's just off. I need a life-saving adjustment. Anybody relate with that? I mean, it's just that, that thing in us that we need a perspective adjustment. And, and really, it's a life-saving adjustment to be in seeing people and the challenges around me as the opportunities that God might be giving me for Him to shine through me and in them. But I'm viewing it the wrong way. I need a life-saving adjustment. Or here, here's another one. We need to consider adjusting our behavior. And I, to be honest with you, the first two are, are more of a struggle of mine because the behavior isn't the issue. I, I have more of heart issues more than anything else anymore. Attitude, perspective. You know, it's not the behavior, but my behavior was terrible when I was younger. Well, it's not near as bad. Now, you ask, you know, the person I live with, she might think differently, but, I, you know, hey. Anyway, we need to consider adjusting our behavior. And, and I just, a couple thoughts. Maybe you are constantly walking into the trouble of the party life, and it's costing you. That's a behavior. You know, got to get your buzz on. And, it's, and, it, and you're like, well, what, what do you mean? And maybe it's ca- costing you your character or your witness or even maybe your relationships. It's costing you something. Remember what we said? We said, maybe I need to consider adjusting something before it costs me more than I want to pay or it's too late. Or I keep repeating the same painful, regretful stories again and again and again. You know, or it's a life-saving adjustment to walk in a different direction. Or maybe you are consistently in trouble because you have been in this bad pattern of walking right into unhealthy relationships. Maybe you're single here today and you just can't seem to get out of that pattern of walking into unhealthy relationships. It's like one after another. If we went back and we were to, to monitor or watch the store of your life, you would see this pattern of unhealthy relationship, unhealthy relationship, unhealthy relationship. And you need a life-saving adjustment in that behavior. That somehow that would become something different. See, it's a life-saving adjustment to begin to view your relationships from God's point of view and not walking into them with a needy or careless heart, not settling for less or unhealthy. And I I wrote this in my notes, and I realize as I, I keep reading over and over, this is maybe a very specific word, if you will, for somebody today, is this. Healthy people tend to walk into healthy situations. Unhealthy people or unwise people tend to not. Just think about that for a second. Lord, help me to see that, that maybe there's some behavior things that are happening because I don't have wisdom. I don't have that part of who I need to be because that's taking place. And so I think the reality is that all of us have things in our lives that we need to make some life-saving adjustments, whether it be an attitude, a perspective, or a behavior, or all of them. I mean, we all have this, that somehow this needs to change, that there, you know, I need to, you know, to not be stupid is to be able to adjust and make some life-saving adjustments. And so I want to look for a moment, the last few moments here, at an Old Testament king who had to make some life-saving adjustments. And, and the story is the story of Hezekiah. Uh, Hezekiah was one of the kings 
in the Old Testament. The story is found in First, uh, Second Kings, and it's also found in Second Chronicles. And there's also a chapter in Isaiah that talks about Hezekiah. And Hezekiah it, it was a real person in real time around 700 B.C. It wasn't like this is a make-believe story. He was just like you and I. And he was in a difficult situation, and he had to make some life-saving adjustments. He was a young king. He actually became king when he was 25. And he was the king of the southern kingdom called Judah. There was actually a split in the kingdom. It was Israel in the northern and Judah in the southern. And he was the king over the southern part of it, which was actually supposed to be the better part, but they were both bad. And they were in a bad place. And here's the, here's the pattern of Judah and Israel at this time. Here's what was happening. Their pattern, their stupid pattern, if you will, was very simple. They would do stupid things in the sight of God and end up in a terrible place. That's what they would do. You get chapter after chapter, you would read about kings that said they did evil in the sight of God, and then all of a sudden now they were in this stupid place. They were uh, uh, slaves, or they lost everything, or they went into a battle, and they lost the battle. They could never seem to get ahead or get forward or get where they need to be because somehow, way, they didn't make the life-saving adjustments that needed to be made. And so that was the story. And along comes Hezekiah, this young 25-year-old young man, who actually was birthed out of a really ugly, crazy spot, and he recognized that there was a need to make some life-changing, life-saving adjustments. Even though it was a messed up time, even though God's favor wasn't on them then, but he knew it possibly could be. He knew that. He's like, man, it doesn't have to be this way. And he knew that they were in a dangerous place, but he knew that the answer was life-saving adjustments. And so let's just kind of walk through it a little bit together. Hezekiah's adjustment, 2 Kings chapter 18, and I'll just kind of read a few verses, we'll talk about it, and then we'll read a couple more. It says in 2 Kings verse 18, it says, in the third year of Hoshea, son of Elah, king of Israel, so that was the northern kingdom, Hezekiah, son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. Now, we'll talk about Ahaz in just a second, he was a piece of work. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem for 29 years, which was a good reign. I mean, some of the longest reigns were not that, I mean, that was, that was a long time back then, that he would be 25 and he reigned for 29. I mean, that was a good long time. The, his son, actually, that followed him, Manasseh, reigned for 55 years. You know, so just, just you know, it wasn't like they were living to be 100 years old, and, and so that was the situation. And it goes on. And I almost took out this verse like three or four different times, this part of the verse. It says, his mother's name was Abijah, uh, Abijah, I don't know how to pronounce it, daughter of Zechariah. And it's not Zechariah the prophet, it's just a guy named Zechariah, okay? You'd think, oh man, he was the son of a, you know, really cool guy. Now it's just some guy, I don't, you don't know anything about him. But some reason the Holy Spirit puts in the text this idea that his mother, this is who his mom was. And I think it might have played into this actually. Because his dad, Ahaz, was a bad dude. Matter of fact, his dad was so bad. This is how bad his dad was. That he took one of Hezekiah's brothers and actually sacrificed him on an altar before an idol. I mean, that's, that's pretty bad. I mean, he was so bad that he would take the, the temple belongings and, and melt them down. And he gave them as an offering to an ungodly king so that maybe he would like him better. He was bad. 
And Ahaz was the son of bad. He, I mean, Hezekiah was the son of bad. It was, it was this ugly, backwards situation, and Ahaz was not a great father. And I say all that to say this, because some of us, we have that similar situation. Not that our parents killed our other brothers or sisters, but that we have parents that aren't that great. We've got parents that maybe weren't making the life-saving adjustments that they needed to make, and now I'm in the same pattern, and somehow somebody's got to break the pattern. Somehow somebody's got to step in and say, that's enough. And so Ahaz was not this great father, and he sacrificed his own son, but there was this understanding. Life-saving adjustments are sometimes the difference between generations of dysfunction or not. See, there's things in your life and in my life today that if I don't take care of, there's a very good chance that will be repeated again and again in my children and those that surround me. I might not be just making a life-saving adjustment for myself. I might be making a life-saving adjustment for my grandkids and my great-grandkids and all those other people that come after me. It's somewhere it's got to start. And so in the middle of that, Hezekiah works. Here's another thought. Is life-saving adjustments have the greatest effect if I do them as early as possible rather than later. Like I said before, wouldn't it be nice if we could go back and do it all over again and go way back? You know, for me, I'd like to go back to junior high. I'd like to go back to when I was in sixth grade. I'd, li- I'd like to go back and, 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 and somehow do that, but, but, but I can't. But now I have the moment. Now is the moment. I have a life-saving opportunity to make an adjustment today can't change what happened, but I can make an adjustment now. Because if I wait more, I'm just going to have more regrets. I'm just going to have more things that don't work out, more things that I wish would have been different, but they weren't different. But somehow, some way, I've got to change. And so Hezekiah knew that. And here's the key verse, verse 3. It says, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. If you read through 1 Kings, 2 Kings, and Chronicles, and read through, you know what the phrase you'll find again and again and again about all the kings? Is they did evil in the Lord's sight. And if you read it in other versions, it says they did not please the Lord. They weren't in line with what God wanted. They didn't do what was right in relationship to God. And so somehow, some way, it ripped it all apart. And so Hezekiah realized the first step in life-saving adjustment is this. There has to be an adjustment to seek the approval of God alone above everything else. God's approval. See, they were in trouble because they kept doing whatever felt good, not what God wanted. They were in trouble because they were just going to the flow. They were just doing what it felt naturally. They were just doing what their parents did. They just did what the crowd did. They were just doing that, and uh, there was no concern for what God wanted. And so life-saving adjustments are always birthed in a desire to please the Lord. Wisdom understands that the best things in life come from a right relationship with God. And so Hezekiah knew that he had to make a life-saving adjustment to please the Lord instead of pleasing the people because the pleasing the people thing wasn't working too good. And by the way, they were slaves or under the oppression of the Assyrian army, which was really, really bad. I mean, they did things that you, you can't even hardly talk about to people. 
They tortured people, brutalized people. I mean, it, it, was, it was the kind of stuff that you go, man, nobody should ever do that to anybody. And that was how they acted on a normal basis. And that's where they were. They were in that terrible place. And Hezekiah knew that they had to make a life-saving adjustment to please the Lord instead of the people because it wasn't leading them to the right place. And so he had within him a desire that says, we can't stay on the same path. We can't operate the same way. We can't keep going without God's favor. We can't re keep repeating the same story again and again and again. We can't do this. We have to make a life-saving adjustment. So he began to seek God's approval above anybody else's. The second thing that goes on in the scripture reads it this way, 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 4. This is what he did. He got rid of the local fertility shrines, smashed the phallic, phallic stone monuments, and cut down the sex and religion ashra groves. And finally, stroke and he, as a final stroke, he pulverized the ancient bronze ser serpent that Moses had made, which, by the way, started out as a really cool thing. Matter of fact, it was one of those things that God told them to do. <laughs> Build this, have them trust in me, and I'll heal them. But it got lost. He goes on and it says that uh, Moses had made, and at the time the Israelites had taken up the practice of sacrificing to it, and they had, they had even digni dignified it with the name Nushethan, which was the old serpent or the old bronze serpent. And so here's what Hezekiah realized that if he was going to make a life-saving adjustment, he had to make an adjustment to aggressively destroy the obstacles that were standing in the way. Because they had given themselves over to things like idols, and they had given themselves over to pleasure. They had given themselves over to a religious system that was symbolic without any substance. They would given themselves over all these things. And so sometimes the life-saving adjustment is a willingness to be aggressive with what stands in the way of a relationship with God. And here's what we need to understand about these verses. Not all the things about the, I kept reading about what is the shrines and all these things. Basically, it was just things that they had lifted up that were going to be above God, and they pushed God down. That's basically what it was, with all kinds of deviance. And so all that's going to, and here's what we need to understand. We need to understand that God is jealous for us. That God is jealous for us, and we cannot mix a world worship with a God worship. We cannot do both. God isn't like, hey, who do you think? Do you think I'm like fooled by this? I, you can't be a part of that and a part of me at the same time. The two things won't mix. But I'm jealous for you in relationship with you. I love you so much that he would keep letting them get into hard places so that maybe somehow, some way, they would make a life-saving adjustment. That somehow, some way, they would come to their sentence. Notice the language. It got rid of, which means they removed it. They smashed it. They cut down it. They pulverized or broke it up. And the point is this. He wasn't playing. Sometimes we get to that point where we realize, I need to make a life-saving adjustment. I need an attitude adjustment. I need a perspective adjustment. I need a behavior adjustment. And then we kind of play with it. We kind of move it off to the side for a moment. Next thing we know, as soon as the moment passes, we pick it right back up. 
As soon as, as soon as something happens, it's like, man, I'm right back in that same situation I was before. And we go back to default because we didn't really get rid of it. It's still part of who we are. We got it hanging out in the back room. And so when life gets a little crazy, I go back to the back room. And he destroyed it. He didn't entertain it. He didn't rationalize it. He didn't excuse it. He wasn't making allowances for it. He wasn't going part way. It wasn't kind of. He destroyed it. That's interesting because his son, you would think, would have got this, Manasseh. He was like the worst king ever. He rebuilt it all. Like, what? No, because he had to make the same decision. He had to make that same decision. So here's, here's the next one. It goes on. So it says, 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 5. Hezekiah put his whole trust in God, the God of Israel. There was no queen, queen. There was no king quite like him. Either before or after, he held fast to God, never loosened his grip, and obeyed to the letter everything God had commanded Moses. And God, and this is the good news, for his part, held fast to him through all his adventures. I don't know about you, but I would like some of that. I would like to know that whatever I'm going through, that God's with me. And it sounds to me like when I grab a hold of God, grab, God grabs a hold of me. It's kind of like this life principle that if I draw near to God, God will draw near to me. If I will run after him, he's already running after me, and we collide, and it's good. And that's what Hezekiah did. He said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to make a life-saving adjustment, and I'm going to hold on to God tighter than anything else. I'm not going to let go. Matter of fact, if it even starts to feel like it's loosening, I'm going to re-grab. I'm going to grip even tighter. He made an adjustment to remain consistent through whatever he faced because life-saving adjustments is constantly getting a better grip on God's ability to change my situation. See, every other king would get distracted. Every other king would compromise. But his whole trust was in the Lord. And by the way, maintaining the adjustment over the years is just as important as making it in the first place. You can't look back and say, hey, I made an adjustment 25 years ago, but you never did anything with it. You have to stick with it. So Hezekiah, he wasn't perfect, but he remained faithful to the adjustments for 29 years. Last point, 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 7. He revolted against the king of Assyria. He refused to serve him one more day. And he drove back the Philistines, whether in sentry, outpost, or fortress cities, all the way to Gaza and its borders. And here's the point. He made an adjustment to fight, not just lay over. And see, here's what happens. This is, this is the, the way it goes. It, yeah, there was first an adjustment to seek God's approval from him alone, there was an adjustment to aggressively destroy the obstacles. There was an adjustment to remain consistent to whatever he faced. And it led him to this point because life-saving adjustments will create godly confidence. Life-saving adjustments will create godly confidence and I can fight against the things that are trying to destroy me instead of just laying over and letting them get me. And so when the trap comes, we can easily say, no way. Or as it said in our text, he refused to serve him even one day. So, heads bowed, eyes closed before the Lord. Let me ask you a question. Is God today speaking to you 
about making some life-saving adjustments? That's the question. Is God today speaking to you about making some life-saving adjustments? Before it's too late, before it costs too much, before I repeat the same pattern again. If it's yes, here's the beauty of it. If I step towards him, he's going to step towards me. He already is, like we started off. He's already chasing me. He's already coming after me. He's just waiting for me to make a simple step in his direction. And then what I find is this. I find, like it said in the scripture, God, for his part, he held fast to him through all his adventures. As we go back to the previous verse that we read, we said we hide from all of our dangers. Somehow there is a covering with God that I cannot ever get in my own power, my own strength. I find security. I find strength. I find help. I find hope. Because I'm willing to make that life-saving adjustment. Hearts bowed before the Lord. You say, you know what? God is speaking to me today about making a life-saving adjustment. If that's you, would you just wave your hand at me so I know who I'm praying for? Yeah, thank you. Lord, every hand that was raised today as a simple gesture of faith that says, God, have your way in us and through us. Lord, we've made mistakes, God. We've done things. We've allowed things to go on and on and on and on and on. And God, you're calling us to something different, something new in you to make some life-saving adjustments. To not keep walking in the same path, but to change paths, Lord, one that's your path, your way. And so, Lord, we pray that you would forgive us and cleanse us and make us new and make us whole and help us to walk this thing out, God, not in our own power, because we got to trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.